This is Pulp and Paper Canada, the podcast, hosted by Pulp and Paper Canada magazine, the industry's news source since 1903. You've tuned in to hear conversations with pulp and paper experts on the latest technologies and trends affecting this essential part of Canada's forest products sector. This podcast is brought to you today by the Forest Products Association of Canada, the voice of Canada's forest sector and its 230,000 workers. The moment is now for Canadian forestry and forest products. As governments look to kickstart economic recovery, Canada's forest sector has over 140 shovel-ready projects across the country worth over $1.5 billion to improve our facilities and operations, to make new innovative products, and to get more people working. A green economic recovery starts with Canada's forest sector workers and Canadian forest products. Learn more about FPAC's efforts to lead the charge to a net-zero carbon economy, attract investment, create jobs, and bring more sustainably sourced Canadian forest products to Canada and the world by visiting www.forestryforthefuture.ca. Hello and welcome to Pulp and Paper Canada, the podcast. I'm Christina Urquhart, editor of Pulp and Paper Canada magazine. To mark International Women's Day on March 8th, I'm pleased to bring you this special podcast episode as part of our Women in Forestry series in partnership with Canadian Forest Industries and Canadian Biomass. Find more stories of women working in pulp and paper at womeninforestry.ca and tune in to join our free Women in Forestry virtual summit on March 9th. You'll be able to watch the recordings even if the event date has passed, so be sure to visit our website at pulpandpapercanada.com, click on the Events tab, and go to Women in Forestry. Pamela Cowan is Chief Marketing and Financial Officer for Pulmac Systems International, a developer of online, contaminant, and strength testing equipment and data solutions for the pulp and paper industry. Pam is also the Chief Strategy Officer at Pulmac's spin-off fiber engineering company called FiberWorks, which produces solutions such as the Fiber Router, a fiber engineering system for process control in stock preparation. Throughout her career, Pam has lived in both Canada and the United States, where she's currently based. She's also actively involved in promoting and celebrating women in the pulp and paper industry as one of the founding members of TAPI's Women in Industry Division and its Chair Emeritus. She also serves as past chair of TAPI's Pima Management Division, working on innovation and leadership issues with mill managers, production leaders, and supplier executives across North America. Pam's here today to talk to us about her work as a supplier in the pulp and paper industry, to share the robust initiatives TAPI has to offer women, and to reflect on the successes and remaining barriers for women in the sector. Thank you, Pam, for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Christina, to be here. So maybe you could start by telling us what drew you to a career in pulp and paper. Well, I actually come from a long line of contributors to the pulp and paper industry, starting with my grandfather, who founded E&B Cowan which was a consulting engineering firm in the industry. My father subsequently got a PhD in chemical engineering from the Institute of Paper Chemistry and founded uh, Pulmac and invented equipment that tests pulp fiber quality in pulp and paper mills. So I am the third generation of contributors to the industry, and that's how I got involved. So how did your career unfold then at Pulmac? I mean, you started working for the family, but what brought you to the position that you're in today? It's, it's actually very interesting because I haven't spent my most of my career at Pulmac. I started off being on the board as a teenager mm-hmm. and uh, have always been associated with the company, but I only worked operationally for the company. I was there from 1993 to 1998, 
And then I went off. I, I have a degree in finance. I went off and worked for several companies in the area of finance. And then uh, I was a contract CFO for startups. And so it wasn't until 2015 when I was asked to come back and help develop a growth strategy for Pomac uh, that I that I came back to Pomac after all those years. So it wasn't that I'd been in this company all of my career, and that's how I ended up here. I came back in the capacity of CFO, and now I'm taking over the strategy and marketing functions as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about Palmac Systems and what products and services they offer to the pulp and paper industry? The, the equipment that I mentioned before that my father uh, invented, one is a screening device that measures uh, contaminants in pulp. And another one is a tensile testing device that measures fiber quality. And the basis for these inventions were when my dad, after my father got his PhD in chemical engineering, he got a job as a technical director for a paper mill in Scotland. And he had the opportunity to use his scientific training to solve production problems. So the genesis of uh, these inventions was there are no diagnostic tools for paper machine breaks. So contaminants cause paper machine breaks and weak fibers cause paper machine breaks. And so these two pieces of equipment are designed to help mills diagnose paper machine breaks. Are these devices installed all across the world? Wherever paper's made, we ship to. So we have a very niche product that has uh, the, the master screen, which is the contaminant fractionator, I should probably call it, is the most uh, industry accepted device. The Z-SPAN is accepted amongst researchers. And in fact, the reason I was brought in is because we have this uh, niche product that's very got deep market penetration. What, what can we do to expand Pomac? And is that sort of what led to, to FiberWorks? That's exactly what led to FiberWorks. We analyzed what's going on. What, what, what are we good at? What's Pomac good at? What can we offer the community? And there are two areas that we're really good at. One is understanding fibers. And the other one is management. So how can we apply this? Our CEO was at a, con- a RISI conference in 2015, I think it was. And uh, someone from the panel uh, who was a producer said, we need stronger boxes and uh, we can't innovate. We need you suppliers to innovate. So he came back and said, okay, folks, how can we use fiber properties to create stronger boxes? And so that's how we invented uh, the fiber router which is really a device that produces what we call glue pulp. And in a, in a nutshell, when you get pulp and you're preparing it for the paper machine, you have to run it through refiners in order to create bonding strength. But if you over-refine, then you lose structural strength. And so the industry kind of understands that there's a trade-off between structural strength and bonding strength. So our premise is, why consider all fibers the same? Why not take a small flow refine the heck out of it, call it glue pulp. There you've got your bonding uh, properties and introduce it back into the initial flow, which has good structural strength because it's not being refined. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we determined that there was a huge benefit. And so we're in the process of er very early stages of commercializing that, that capability. You're past chair of Tappy's Women in Industry Division, and you're mm-hmm. one of its founders. So mm-hmm. I thought maybe you could tell us about how the division got started and what gap you had noticed in the pulp and paper market. That's really one of these things where you have greatness thrust upon you. <laughs> I went to my first paper con in 2015, 
And my colleague said, you know, they're starting this women's committee. You should go check it out. So I did. And it was a really neat gathering of a lot of women. And uh, we all went around and introduced ourselves and told a little story about being a woman in this in, in, in industry. And when it was over, Tappy person came over, stood in front of me and said, okay, so we need leadership in this committee. Uh, Pam, you want to be chair? But to give the history of, of the women's committee, it was because it was felt that women needed a group to get together and talk about and, and to feel part of a bigger thing because there were so few women in the industry and they're all dispersed out there and felt pretty isolated. And it actually evolved into when we got together and said, okay, what do we want to be? What's going to be our mission? How are we going to approach this? We all kind of said, you know, we need to just have conversations around women's issues because we don't really think there's a hostile environment out there to women. It's just an, they, they don't know. They don't, men don't know the challenges women face because they don't understand those challenges because they aren't men's challenges. And so we really need to have a lot of conversations and we need to include men in those conversations because all of us women know what the problems are. The only way that, that uh, the industry is going to understand it is if men are in the conversation. So that, that's really what, what we set out to do is have a lot of conversations create a lot of awareness, keep the hostility out of it. You know, this is about people understanding each other. And I think that that it is pretty broadly felt that the industry is open to women. It's not a hostile environment. For lack of a better term, it's an ignorant environment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you've got an industry that's extremely set in its ways. And the cultures are very, very entrenched. And the and men just don't understand what aspects of those cultures negatively affect women. It's an unintentional cultural bias. Absolutely, yeah. That's so much of all of these conversations that many industries are having, I think. You don't know what you don't know. We work very hard to avoid the shame and blame attitude. Mm-hmm. We believe in our, in, our, in our industry. How then have you been uh, using programs and events to raise awareness about gender equity in, in the pulp and paper industry? We're organized in four committees. Uh, One of them is celebration. So that's all about celebrating women's accomplishments and highlighting exemplars out there so that women in industry can look to other women and say, you know what, I can do that too. So we have a celebration committee whose job is to do spotlights and to go out and find exemplary women to give award. We have an annual Woman of the Year award that we give at PaperCon every year. We have a benchmarking committee that keeps track of data to see how are we doing, what impact are we having on the industry. I know that in Canada, there's 17% women in the industry. And in the U.S., it's 169 so it's pretty close. In 2017, that figure was 13%. So we're getting somewhere in uh, increasing the number of women in our industry. So that's pretty exciting. We have a career tools and engagement committee. So that's all about information and events that we have a pretty strong footprint at PaperCon. We have a a recurring footprint at Peers. We've developed the Women's Summit that is tacked onto PaperCon every year. And uh, we do webinar series to discuss issues around women's issues in in the industry and share experiences. And the Outreach Committee is about convincing women to come into the industry. One of their biggest projects is a Girl Scout program they have a uh, there's now a forest products badge and there's a program that is working on having 
events at paper mills with young girls throughout the country. We had a lot going on until COVID hit, so that kind of put a put a stop to that. But we we do we are working with Girl Scouts of, of America to put on these events at paper mills and encourage young girls to come into the industry. And we're, we always are involved with the student summit as well. That's really great to hear that you're reaching out to to girls at such a young age, because I think that's really where it needs to start this education. Yeah. I mean, it's it's sometimes too late by the time that they're at the end of a high school, they may have already decided, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that industry, or they may not even know about it. What are some notable projects that the Women in Industry Division has been involved in over the past five years? A very, very active footprint in, uh, in TAPI events. So at PaperCon, we always have a panel discussion. The panelists we, we try to end up with two men, two women on the panel because we think it's important for women to understand women's issues through the eyes of men as well. We always have a, a cocktail party afterwards because we like to talk about what we found is in these panel discussions, you kind of kind of wet everybody's appetite on the subject and everyone had more to say. And so let's have a cocktail party afterwards so we can say what we want to say to continue the, the conversation. And we always have a couple of hot topic tables where we can discuss uh, women's issues. At Peers, there's always a, uh, usually we, we try really hard to, to be speakers at dinner so that we can increase awareness around uh, women's issues in the industry. So we, we, we try to, to take advantage of um, events to continue those conversations and to attract as many men to those conversations as women. You mentioned that the numbers have improved from a few years ago in the States in terms of the amount of women that are in the forestry workforce. How have you seen the pulp and paper industry change? My situation is so unusual because I haven't been in the industry for a good deal of my career, but I canvassed a couple of people from women in industry who had been to see what their responses would be. And, I, and, and I, I'm going to share those. What the consensus is, is that there's a lot more openness to having women. It used to be that there were no accommodations for women. You couldn't get women-sized uniforms. There were no ladies' rooms. It was very, very difficult to work in the mill environment because there was nothing to accommodate women's needs. Well, all that has really evolved. And we're at the point now where there are accommodations for women. There's an acceptance of women having leadership roles. It's not, it's not strange anymore. And that things have greatly improved for women in the industry over the last 20 years in terms of acceptance of, of having them there. Having said that, they also talked about some of the barriers that still exist that are way more subtle. And it's the subtle barriers that are the hardest to get over. And that's where we're at. We're at the, we're, we're at the stage where we have to really dig deep to understand. And it has a lot to do with cultural bias, for instance. You're always the one that everyone expects to order lunch. You're always the one that people expect to do photocopies. It's like this divi natural division of labor directly out of cultural bias, where you're always going to be the one and, and then you have a decision to make. Do I take a stand or do I just do it because what's the big deal? And it wears on you after a while. I, I remember early on in my career, and in fact, this was at EMB Cowan, so that it was in the pulp paper industry. I remember quickly learning to tell people that I don't know how to make coffee and I haven't got a clue how photocopier works just to avoid people coming to me. And, and I just had this natural instinct early on in my career that those are things to avoid. Otherwise you get pigeonholed. And I guess those kinds of issues still exist. And I think some of the other challenges are 
women still take on uh, most of the traditional women's roles at home. And so the work-life balance thing is an extremely difficult thing for women in the industry when they start having children. And uh, the expectation at a mill is you're there 24-7 at their beck and call. So these continue to, to be challenges. What would you say then is lacking in terms of tools or resources that are preventing women from being able to have that work-life balance or from advancing into more senior leadership positions? Well, you're touching upon a very interesting subject for me because of, through my work from Pima. So after I left, when, when I handed the baton, chair baton over to Heather Jennings, who's now the chair of women in industry, I became the chair of Pima. And I did it because I was seeing this interesting pattern occurring in our industry where you've got these young professionals who have one attitude towards all this. And then you had the old guard baby boomers, and there are very few ex-gens because during the time when ex-gens were up and coming, the industry was consolidating and getting rid of people as opposed to hiring people. And so you've got this old, you know, this old guard whose attitude when, when uh, it's really funny, because I can remember kind of cringing when a young professional would say, what advice do you have? I'm going to start my job at a mill next year. What, what advice do you have? And they would say, you just shut up, do what you're told. And in five years, you're going to be of value. Now it's been modified to, well, my strongest advice is for you to be very courteous and respectful of people when you get there and listen very carefully. And sooner or later, you, you will be able to contribute to the benefit of the mill which is just a nicer way of saying shut up and listen and in five years, you're going to be. So I saw this evolving thing. I'm also seeing this dynamic of, of the pressures of Industry 4.0 and automation, which is near and dear to Pomac's heart, because in addition to the glue pulp uh, exercise, in terms of increasing the utility of our equipment, instead of just producing test equipment, we're saying, why don't we not only produce test equipment, but understand the pain point that that test equipment is providing data to address. And then let's provide, let's understand the ecosystem in which, in which that pain point is analyzed. And let's provide some dashboards that organize the information around the pain point that the master screen, for instance, is solving. So where this all fits together is that we have a company initiative to help the industry adopt industry 4.0. And we have this culture being resistant to that. And so I took on the chairmanship of Pima to see if I could influence it to address that. And what I found was a, a huge support in doing that. And so we have a very vibrant Pima division now that's very focused on influencing the industry towards a culture of innovation. Gosh, you know what? That was such a long-winded no, answer. No, it was. It, it's it's interesting. I mean, the, the innovation is the only way that the pulp and paper industry is going to survive. I mean, we're seeing that with the decline in paper demand. So, in order to offset that, we need to start looking at other solutions and encouraging that kind of innovative thinking is, is really it's the only way forward for the industry. I think. And I think if you start to look into innovation and do research about it and what kind of cultures are the best for innovation, it also taps into my other, my, my other passion, which is women in industry. And that is you get more innovative solutions when you have a diverse workforce. Mm. That, that, is, that has been proven. And so all of this leads to the same ends of uh, trying to improve the industry, which also sort of tenderizes the market, tenderizes the meat <laughs> in the marketplace for uh, our strategy switches. 
What about you? Like as you moved through your career, what were some of your greatest barriers? Did you face some of the same things that the women that you talked to in the pulp and paper industry face? Absolutely. I noticed very early on in my career, and it's still true today. At the time, I thought it was just because I was young. <laughs> okay. And it's still true today. And that is, is when a man has a title, people assume that he can do the job. When a woman has a title, people look for that woman to prove it. And so here I am in a company that I'm a part owner in. And when new people come in, I can see that they don't believe I can do the job that I'm doing until I prove myself. And it's my company. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and this isn't people being malicious or evil, it's cultural bias. And these kinds of cultural biases still exist. It's just another side of the coin of they expect women to fix the photocopier, make the coffee and go get lunch. What advice would you give to the new cohort of females joining the forest product sector? The advice that I would give is you can make a difference in this industry. You can be a hero. This industry is important to life and and the community. And don't worry, cultural bias is going to be there no matter where you go. It's just part of the human condition. And we can all talk about it and build awareness around it to try to mitigate it. But don't be discouraged by it. Women can still make a difference and are very much needed in this industry. That's the message that I would like to send. I want to see more women out there. And I think the industry is very open to it right now. And there's all sorts of possibilities opening up. You have a whole generation that's going to be retiring in the next five years, leaving all this leadership opportunity. I say, women, go for it. This is the perfect time to get into this industry. Great advice. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share my and others' insights of women in this industry. Thank you so much for your time and for all the work that you're doing for women in the industry. We, we see you and we appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. Thanks again to our guest, Pamela Cowan of Fiberworks, Palmax Systems International, and Tappy's Women in Industry and Pima Divisions. Find more episodes of this podcast, as well as the latest industry news, at pulpandpapercanada.com and on Twitter at Pulp Paper Canada. You can also search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm Christina Urquhart, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pulp and Paper Canada, the podcast. This podcast is brought to you today by the Forest Products Association of Canada, the voice of Canada's forest sector and its 230,000 workers. The moment is now for Canadian forestry and forest products. As governments look to kickstart economic recovery, Canada's forest sector has over 140 shovel-ready projects across the country worth over $1.5 billion to improve our facilities and operations, to make new innovative products, and to get more people working. A green economic recovery starts with Canada's forest sector workers and Canadian forest products. Learn more about FPAC's efforts to lead the charge to a net zero carbon economy, attract investment, create jobs, and bring more sustainably sourced Canadian forest products to Canada and the world by visiting www.forestryforthefuture.ca.